with the development of programmatic advertising, it opened the door for the use of, of data and, and audience segmentation to drive more powerful campaign targeting. Uh, so, you know, those are things like uh, collecting information on, um, on on the sociodemographic background of users, or the or the purchase intent that they have, or the general interest that they have. Um, so, really, where it started out with um, in the audience uh, audience targeting side was through programmatic. Now that has evolved over the years, and we're seeing more and more use cases outside of programmatic advertising. Um, but definitely, yes, you know, it was the big the big evolution. Um, uh, I would say, or, you know, rapid evolution of the data space um, and the audience targeting space came uh, off the back of programmatic advertising. Project A Podcast. Welcome to the Project A Podcast. This is uh, Florian speaking. I'm your host today and one of the general partners at Project A. And today I have a special guest with me. It's one of our Early investments. Um, it's uh, Christina. She's CEO and, and co-founder of IOTA. It's a company in the ad tech space and uh, a very interesting company in uh, many respects. Uh, but Christina, why don't you introduce yourself and then we're going to dive right in what uh, IOTA does and and how the development of the company and evolution of the company has been. Yeah, sure. Thanks. Uh, very excited to, to be a guest today. Um, so thanks for having me. My name is Christina Prokop. And as you mentioned, I am one of the co-founders and the CEO of IOTA. We are an audience technology company that's focused on the, the activation, distribution, and monetization of, of data um, and audience, audience segmentation. And yeah, I work on a global basis and, and have been really happy to be a part of the Project A family and excited to talk about data today. Yeah, that's that's cool. I think we did the investment in 2013, right? I think that's when, when yes. we met, or even 2012. Yes. Uh, when, when were you guys founded? And, and, and uh, you also have a very special kind of uh, setup because you started basically as a global company despite being I don't know six seven people in the beginning <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Can, can you shed a little bit of light it wasn't a good idea in hindsight or was it a bad idea <laughs> Uh, yes, yes and no, as they so as they so wonderfully say in German, Jein. Um, yeah, so the story was we founded in 2010. Um, we were the international management team of a of an ad tech company where we were where we were all working together. Um, it was a U.S. based company, and um, you know as we saw as we saw the what was evolving in the states uh, in the data space, we we saw that internationally there was next to nothing you know, in in data going on. Um, it was really a big black hole. So when we were looking at business ideas, we saw Christina, may I, may I interrupt you real quick? Because when you talk when you talk about data, I think we need to specify for the audience here. We're talking about programmatic advertising. Yes. Um, digital advertising, which is kind of the main things that evolved like in, in digital advertising. Yeah, around that time, 2009, 2010, the beginnings of, of programmatic advertising really started to, to kick off mainly in the US and you didn't see anything equivalent basically outside. So so that's, I think, very important to, to note. If you're talking about data here and audience data, it's always related to this kind of programmatic uh, development. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Particularly in the beginning. And, and thanks for clarifying that for, for the audience. You know, I think sometimes when we're in our ad tech world, we forget that sometimes people want to listen in and, and learn about it that, that don't have the full background. So yes, uh, yeah. correct. You know, it, it's with the develop, with the, um, 
with the development of programmatic advertising, it opened the door for the use of, of data and, and audience segmentation to drive more powerful campaign targeting. Uh, so, you know, those are things like uh, collecting information on, um, on on the sociodemographic background of users, or the or the purchase intent that they have, or the general interest that they have. Um, so, really, where it started out with um, in the audience uh, audience targeting side was through programmatic. Now, that has evolved over the years, and we're seeing more and more use cases outside of programmatic advertising. Um, but definitely, yes, you know, it was the big the big evolution. Um, uh, I would say, or, you know, rapid evolution of the data space um, and the audience targeting space came uh, off the back of programmatic advertising. So as and we... So you, yeah, sorry, sorry, didn't want to interrupt you. No, that's okay. So, I, you know, as we as we looked at these markets, we had a very, we had a very unique um, dynamic that the, we, we were all based, the co-founders, we were all based in different countries, but had been working together for a long time. And we knew we had this really unique constellation of, being active and having our networks and uh, being able to do business um, independently in each of those markets, um, and also having a, a, a nicely complementary um, skill set and background. So when we were looking at opportunities of what we might want to do together, um, this was you know this was the avenue that we chose because we just realized that data was going to be playing such a key role in the digital um, you know in the digital world. And uh, so, yeah, so your, your comment about the, the founding of the company was pretty unique. And I would, I, would actually, I would actually say, quite possibly, one of the only startups that has been founded across three continents. Um, so we actually started from day one in the company across uh, from Germany, Singapore, and Sydney. Um, so it was, uh, it was international from day one. And... I would say, you know, part of, part of it was wonderful strategy. Part of it was was luck, as it always is, because um, you were asking, would you do it again? I think you know, the the benefits um, for those of for those of the listeners that work in the ad tech world, it is the key in in advertising technology um, and and any of these these digital um, digital platforms is the scalability of the scalability of, of the of the product, um, and so you know, if I look at what we really wanted to do was become the data, the go to data source for everywhere outside of the states, um, because part of what we do it's not only aggregating um, aggregating inter, uh, important audience segmentation to offer to brands and advertisers for targeting and measurement and analytics, but it's also um, you know, we we run on a platform that has to be inter interconnected into this entire programmatic ecosystem. So that means that it's not only about the data that we get and collect in our own platform, but we have to make make sure that we can we can activate that data and and make it available to to advertisers and brands and every, every channel, every, every, uh, every platform that they want to use that in. And so when, you know, when we started the company, um, you know, if you, I think it was a really a huge advantage to have data assets and have it be playing an important role in the data space in multiple geographies, because when it comes time to be prioritized for an integration with Google or at the time AppNexus or with Adobe or Salesforce, um, you know, if, if you're just a German data company or if you're just a Singaporean data company or just an Australian company, 
um, it's really hard to get prioritization to build up that infrastructure to be able to deliver data seamlessly through the ecosystem. So I would say that really worked in our favor. Uh, there, but also, there was also a something that did not work in our favor, and I think we underestimated that in terms of in terms of fundraising. It was it was complicated because you know it's not mm-hmm. uh, we were distributed across many you know across many many countries. Um, you know, we didn't fall in in the box. We didn't fit into any of the boxes that most of the investors at the time were, uh, you know, were looking for. You know, a lot of the U.S. companies weren't really interested in investing in a company whose headquarter was in Singapore, and the Singaporeans yeah. weren't necessarily investing that much into ad tech at the moment. And then we found this really forward-thinking German company <laughs> <laughs> that said, "That said, hey, I think that's a great idea." And I have to, I have to mention this because it's, it's really, I, I, I don't even know if I told you this. I still remember at the first, I think it was the absolute first D three con company, uh, D three con, and it was um, what for those of you not in Germany, it's a, it's a, the German programmatic and data driven event. It was in this very, there was very first year, very first two years. And you were speaking up on stage and we had just gotten started. And someone asked you in the audience said, if you were going to found a company today, what would you, what would you found? And you said a, a a data targeting, a data targeting company. And I felt like popping out of my chair and saying, Oh, here, 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 here. Um, (laughs) And in the end we all came together. So it was a little bit serendipitous. Absolutely. I, I still remember that. And we had a discussion internally as well. Because, I mean, you were basically, I don't know, 10 people or whatever, 12 people back then, um, and distributed in three continents, whether that's a, a feature or, or an advantage or it's actually a bug. And we decided, um, uh, like back then, that it's probably a good idea and it, it makes sense to kind of um, make available what you already had seen in the U.S., um, and with all the platform players of, of, for that ecosystem also being in the U.S., make that kind of technology available, and especially the data to use that t- technology in in other geographies. I think that was pretty clear that that would come. It would yeah. just be a question of how long um, that that would take. But can you take uh, to, like to to show the audience or to explain the audience a little bit better? Where do you get your data from? Uh, like how and how do you match it with individual users? I mean, how has it been done? Uh, like in the last few years um, uh, in the desktop world and in the in the mobile world, and how is it going to change? Mm-hmm. And probably who, who's who's using your data in the sense of um, who are the uh, like which kind of advertisers are using this kind of programmatic advertising, and and how are usually the the use cases basically? So where do you get the data from, and and who's using it in in what kind of way? Yeah. Sure, what, I'll start with a really simple desktop cookie-based um, cookie-based scenario. So what we do is we work with we work with data providers on the one hand that that provide us with data um, signals about certain as uh, so non-personally identifiable signals. Um, so basically only based on a cookie and some and some key value uh, pairs that give us insight into the type of content they're looking at or what they're searching for or maybe a a registration form that they filled out with an age or gender. So let's just take an example. If if uh, lastminute.com is a is a site we partner with, um, we do private we power private data marketplaces for them. Now, if if I'm going onto lastminute.com and I do a search for, I guess maybe maybe not a very timely example right now because I'm wishing I could do a search on lastminute.com for vacation. <laughs> but uh, yeah. let's say I'm I'm searching for um, for flights to Mallorca for um, two adults and two children. Now, if at lastminute.com is a partner of ours, 
then what we receive from them is the it are are the signals that let's say me uh, you know cookie one two three four five um, has searched for a certain class so a certain you know for for a certain flight um, flight to from Germany to Mallorca for so including two children. Now there's a couple of different things that we can that we can pull from that. Um, you know, number one, just you know the travel travel intent in general, um, the destination I'm traveling to. Um, we can make the inference that there are you know that there are children um, that that I have uh, you know that I have children because if I'm looking to book for two children, the likelihood is very very high. And then, for example, if I'm if I'm logging into my account or going through the purchase process. I'll be listing myself as a Mr. or Mrs. or, um, you know, registering myself when I'm logged in, they have the information that, that I'm a registered female. Um, so those would all be individual data points that last minute shares with us to then create segments that, uh, that can be sold to, um, you know, either travel specific, um, advertisers or even, you know, anyone who's looking to target uh, a female demography, uh, demography. Or, um, or any sort of brand that's looking to target uh, people with children in the household. Um, so that's a really simple example of how like a cookie-based version of the data collection works. Um, it's very similar on the mobile side, um, except that then the data is associated to a mobile ad ID instead of a cookie. Um, and then also a very big part of our business is using all of the identifiers and the data points, um, the data points that we have against users to onboard offline data sets. Um, so that's become, you know, that's, it has always been a big part of our business and will continue to grow um, because, you know, it, it's, there's such a wealth of deep offline data information, you know, whether that's census, auto ownership, um, you know, household level, uh, household level uh, sociodemographic information, there's a lot of information that online just will never be able to, um, you know, n- will never be able to replace. And so a large part of what we do is also being able to on providing an onboarding environment for taking those offline data sets and making them targetable online. So those are like for companies like, like MasterCard with purchase data or Experian with household level data or Schober here in Germany. Um, similarly. So you help them to to basically connect their offline uh, available or the, the data points that they have that is offline available in some kind of database um, to make that uh, to like connect that either to a cookie or to a mobile ad ID. Is correct. that is that fair? To, yeah, yeah okay. correct. And I can walk through you through a really simple example of that as well. Let's say, for example, if if uh, Mastercard uh, or let's say Experian might have the data that if I live in postal code one two three four five and I'm female, um, I have a high propensity to be buying organic, organic products. Um, so, uh, you know, ab- above average propensity to be buying organic products or that my sociodemographic, uh, inf- so that my sociodemographic background, um, looks like S, you know, people, people that live in this area tend to have this house, average household income and drive this class of car. Um, so that's all information that we can then, with the data points that we have and the online ident- digital identifiers, whether that's cookie or a mobile ad ID, um, that's all information that we can then append to the, the profiles that we have and we can make available for targeting through programmatic or through any sort of um, marketing technology um, integrations that we have. And to your question about who uses the data, it's 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 quite broad. Um, and, you know, I think we see... 
we see the adoption of programmatic is, you know, at this point in time, it's so it's so mature that we get, you know, we get advertising budgets from from all different all different verticals. Um, so B two B is a very big driver um, of, of uh, audience targeting. Also, consumer electronics. Um, Travel used to be, uh, you know. I think obviously we'll uh, we'll we'll be seeing a bit of a dip there, um, and into retail. And you'll see more and more uh, CPG or F- FMCG, depending on what market you're in. Uh, um, also spending a lot, so it's it's really across the board. There's no there's no one individual sector or financial services. Also, you know, a really big uh, a really big user of of audience targeting data. And these advertisers either use it directly by having their own programmatic infrastructure or they use it via media agencies like Omnicom or or WPP, et cetera, that would, that would do it for them, right? Is Correct. That, is that, Correct. Yeah. I would say it's still today, the, the majority, particularly in international markets, the majority of the buying goes as it happens through either one of the large agency holding groups or independent agencies. Um, and trading desks, or, you know, in, I think in the States, um, you know, we were talking a lot about the international side of the business, but we also, you know, we've, we, we launched quite a few years ago in the States already and, and have a very big, um, it's actually, the, you know, in the meantime, the biggest part of our business as well. In the States, you see more brand direct um, activity than you do internationally. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. there are, there are some brands that are managing that in-house. Is it fair to say now that the majority of um, digital banner-based or graphical kind of or, or video-based advertising that's not happening on on um, Facebook or that's not happening on Google is done uh, through programmatic? Is that, is that fair to say in, in like basically every market uh, globally? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yes, definitely. I would, you know, yeah. it, it is, and even, even, the, even the social, uh, even the social channels and, and the other channels are moving more and more towards programmatic as well. Um, and now, you know, you're seeing a lot of uptake on, on connected TV campaigns that are also being driven through, you know, and, and what's great is also driven through a lot of the, the existing DSPs that, uh, you know, that are on market today. Mm-hmm. So it, a lot it, of people. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. So, so and, and is it is it also fair to? I mean, you, you talked about mobile. You talked about uh, the cookie based kind of desktop world. Is it is it fair to say that both of these worlds are still not really interconnected? So it's kind of different spheres, or is there any kind of merging that can be seen between the two worlds, also on the on the tracking side? So is there like a a unified kind of identifier available now to um, to identify users across different um, you know interfaces and, and and platforms. So in the sense of mobile and and desktop, or is it still kind of separate worlds that are very hard to to you know to merge or to to translate into each other? Uh, no, I mean they they are still separate worlds that are coming closer and closer together. Um, you know, there's there's quite a few companies already today who are providing solutions to be able, um, what they're called cross, cross device, um, cross device, uh, graphs. Um, so that, you know, there are many companies whose, whose sole purpose it is to be able to effectively match, um, match a cookie IDs over to mobile ad IDs. Um, and it's, I think, you know, the challenge is going to be, it's not a challenge to do that, um, you know, because I think this, this rolls into where you know any anywhere where you have a, a login in a in a device, you know, that's 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 obviously the most 
the most reliable way to do that. And that is why, for example, you know, the walled gardens have have some of the biggest advantage on market is because they have that login in in multiple devices and are, are allowed are able to track users and, and identify users across across devices. Now there are um, you know there are companies that are doing this. There are also um, alliances um, that are popping up to do this. However, it's always going to be you know I mentioned scale before, and I can't I can't underline it enough. You know, in our business, it's it's so much of this about what we do is about being able to provide scalable solutions. So. You know, the the alliances and there are a couple different companies providing solutions. Um, some also market specific. You know, we have um, we have providers here in Germany. Some that are European specific. You have some big uh, providers that are global doing cross device. Um, and so, for example, you know, we we look where we can to be able to get that information. Um, you know, at least where we can follow some sort of um, identifier. However, since we don't track PII, we don't ourselves um, track login data. So what we do, for example, is we PII for the for the user for the audience is personally identifiable information. Correct. Yeah. So like an email address. So if somebody mm-hmm. was if I was logging into um, you know my my account on my desktop with my email address, um, I would be identified with a cookie with that ID. And then I was logging in, in my, uh, on my mobile phone uh, and was logging in through the same account. Then I would also be, I would be identified then with that mobile ad ID and that, and that email address. Um, of course, that's all when, when, when companies do that, there's always hash so that the, the so that the actual identification piece isn't, um, isn't compromised, but that's how, you know, that's how that, that linkage happens. Um, so yeah, I mean it is it, it the, there are worlds and now you add the complexity of of TV you know connected TVs in your home. Um, so now you know the next phase of this is is starting to connect those devices and see you know being able to look at that at a household level. Um, so it's a, it's a it's a very quickly evolving space and it's a very important space because obviously what what brands and marketers want to do is be able to identify and 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 speak to customers across all of those, across all of those channels and not, and, and devices and not only, and not individually. Um, so with every device that's being introduced, like uh, voice, uh, some kind of voice device or some kind of uh, new connected TV device, the challenge or the complexity of, you know, getting a unified view on a, on a single user uh, becomes more and more complex. Yes, so. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think what's also I think always important to understand um, also for for the audience is when we're talking about a user, what we actually mean is we we're talking about a device. Yeah. So if a TV is used by several kind of users or a family, it's very hard to basically um, uh, characterize or distill who's the actual user. Uh, that's in a given moment using a device, but it will always be like a multitude of users that potentially uses uses a specific device. I mean, that's not so much the problem with mobile. That's very yeah. often you know connected to one single person, but that can be a problem, obviously, if you have something like a TV or if you have something like a computer, especially if it's not a laptop that is often used by by several people. At yeah, the same absolutely, time. absolutely. Yeah, so it does it does mm-hmm. become that you know I think I think what people are getting building different strategies around now is you have on the one hand you know it's there's been so much of a focus on one-to-one marketing, um, you know, connected TV kind of moves us back into, into, you know, one to, to many marketing, um, you know, so the many isn't as, as large as a digital out of home many, but it's, it's still, you're broadcasting a, a, you know, a message where, you know, the household, you don't necessarily know, 
the individual who's who's seeing it. So you do have to, you know, it does take a, a different, um, it does take a different planning approach. Because um, as, as you know, even, you know, my, my kids are, most of the time when the TV is running, my kids are watching and not me, but, <clears throat> but they're logged into our accounts, obviously. Okay. And now, basically, uh, another challenge is, uh, I mean, we were talking about that, uh, or mentioning that earlier, is, is the whole thing with, um, you know, that the cookie is being uh, kind of under attack from from the developments in the browser, you know, cookies being um, um, kind of blocked by default um, and, and things like that. And so we're, we're talking or we're moving sort of into a cookie-less age, first of all, because of the rise of mobile, but also because, uh, you know, the browsers also in the desktop space um, don't allow, uh, like to a certain degree, don't allow cookies anymore. Can you can you shed some light on how far advanced this development is? I mean, a lot of buying media buying still happens based on the cookie, right? Yeah, definitely. And this is a massive, you know, it, it's a massive shift. And to be honest, as you mentioned, it's not something. It's not a shift that wasn't going to happen anyway. You know, as you rightly mentioned, the the cookie and uh, you know the the amount of, of traffic and viewership that you see using um, that are based on cookies is decrease was decreasing anyway. Um, you know, so we're, you know, you're seeing increases of, of usage across mobile devices and connected TVs while, you know, the amount of desktop and cookie, the cookie environment um, decreases. So it's, it's, you know, I think, I think finding solutions for, for supporting everything outside of the cookie is something that, Mo- almost all companies in our space were looking at anyway. The, the recent announcement, and you know, obviously there were also browsers that that were already implementing s- similar, uh, you know, similar, uh, you know, similar restrictions anyway. Um, so mm-hmm. this was kind of the icing on the cake that that I would say just really accelerated the move for everyone to progress in working on their work on their solutions that are not based on third-party cookies. But the reality is today, um, you know, still a lot of that activity, yes, is based on the third-party cookie. So I think, you know, the, the biggest challenge about the, the biggest challenge about this is n- not even that every individual company has their own solution. You know, so from our side, we're, it's a multi-pronged approach of, um, of, you know, working with um, working with companies that can provide us with um, hash email as a as a as a you know as an identifier is working on our own tech um, to be able to uh, work in a first party data environment because a lot of the work that we do is handling first party data of publishers and of brands um, mm-hmm. and the and then you know the, the the ability to like i said before you know working with working within our own environment and then multiple environments to be able to cross identify users between platforms without the help of a without the help of a third party cookie these are all avenues that that we as well as many other companies are moving down um, in full force but the complexity is also coming to an coming to an agreement and working together as an industry to make sure that we're all working on identifiers that can connect us together. Because as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, it's you know, this, this is not, and for any of us as, as ad tech companies, this is not only about us and our own technology and our own platforms. Um, the most important thing is, or just as, just as important, is that we can, that our platforms 
and our our ability to transfer information and and data um, have a common identifier. And you know, today the majority of that is based on a cookie. And so the whole you know, it's 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 interesting to see where I know how the solution is really going to take form because it's it's not only a, individual companies finding their own solutions; it's us coming together as an industry to agree on what the way forward is. Mm-hmm. And one one aspect of that is, is likely going to be contextual targeting. Can you talk a little bit about what 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 that is and and how that works, and and how users identify based on that? Sure. I mean, I think contextual will. I mean, it obviously it especially short term. Um, you know, as a as a as a reaction to to the announcements, contextual got a lot of got a lot of press. Um, however, I don't think contextual is you know it's not it it doesn't it it won't solve all the all the targeting uh, you know all the targeting um, goals that that you know brands and advertisers are, are still will, will expect to continue to have access to. So contextual targeting is. Um, you know, for those of you, for those of the listeners that aren't familiar, is the ability to to identify what the context of of, of a page is that a, that a person is on. So, if it's a news article, what the context of that article is. If it's a special interest site, being able to understand is that about canoeing or kayaking, or is it about uh, baking or financial, um, you know, financial financial and stock information. So it's it's being able to identify that in real time and serve ads um, serve ads based on based on the context that the user that the user's in. So I think it's I mean it it, it always has been a part of um, an element of um, the plan targeting strategies and it always will be. Uh, I I however I don't think it's going to replace what audience targeting has has started. Um, you know I think I think the targeting the the audience and data targeting space will will continue to grow um, regardless of the challenges of the of the the challenges that we stand in front of right now. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> so so it, it, because as you, as you point out, I mean the the contextual targeting by definition is is not providing the kind of depth on an individual user that you know a lot of the advertisers provide yeah so so what what you are saying like implicitly is if i understand it correct correctly that that there will also have to be other um, options identifying more the the individual user and, and categorizing the individual user um, or at least user segments in in a in a, in a more or in a in a more diverse way than than just the context of pages that they have visited. Is that, is that fair to say? Correct. Mm-hmm. And and contextual in itself is not only the the it, it's also contextual is less about following the the type of content they've been following, but it's actually in the environment that they are on at the, that they are in at that moment consuming that content. Um, so mm-hmm. con- contextual also doesn't necessarily build that that type of profile information, um, you know, based on the successive articles or information that that user is consuming, but looks at them at that particular given point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, let me, like, as a, as, a, as a final kind of area, I w- want to briefly touch also on, on GDPR, mm-hmm. which has been a, a huge topic in, in Germany, obviously, um, and in Europe overall, um, and um, increasingly also in other geographies that are looking what what you know has been done in Europe, and uh, you know, uh, 
there's been so much discussion and so much noise uh, when when GDPR was introduced, and now it's like almost like more than a year now since since the whole thing has come into into play. Um, what what has actually happened in practice? Is all advertising now consent based? So are the users more in control of their data now? Is it is that fair to say? And how are the differences between the various regions in the world? Yeah, I think it has. Yeah, I mean, in the beginning, it was definitely a a big, uh, you know, question mark how all of it was going to evolve. But I would say now it is pretty clear. It is pretty clear how it works. What the, um, you know, what the what the rights and um, what the rights are of the user, and how how the correct implementation of GDPR, uh, what that looks like, um, how all the technical how the technical framework works. Um, so we, well, what we've seen is, you know, even though it is a European, um, you know, GDPR is obviously European over at least up until the last, uh, the last, the last, you know, up until this last calendar year, the, the decision of different countries and how they were going to handle legitimate interest versus consent was still, um, was still mixed. Um, so you had some countries like the UK and France, um, interpreting it very strictly that also for online advertising and any sort of online identifier that absolute consent um, that explicit consent was required in order to be able to uh, to work in that environment um, and then you had some countries like Germany that were still okay with legitimate interest because of some of the local legislation um, that that we had here but now what we're seeing there's there's two things that happened um, the the technical framework has been updated and it was just um, is just all being released right now, um, which is, which is, you know, working, working very well. It's obviously, you know, it's I, the, the way that the consent is collected and tracked and the options that the users have to be able to say what they agree to and what they don't, that has evolved since GDPR initially launched. Um, so the new framework takes all that into account and is a, you know, is a, is a more robust framework for all of us as, as technology providers to be able to communicate those consents back and forth to each other. And, uh, and you do see increasingly, um, you know, you see it as you go through, as you surf through the web, there's, you know, there's a lot, almost everywhere you go now, there is some sort of um, consent management platform implemented in, in most of the sites you visit. So I would say the adoption is very high. Um, country by country, it's been a bit different in Europe. What has changed now is uh, across Europe, it looks like everyone is going to go uh, in the very near future towards a consent only approach. Um, which is, you know, I think, I think it makes it more consistent and easier for all of us to, to, to manage as an industry. Um, and as you rightly said, there are also initiatives in other countries, um, in the U S you have CCPA, which is, um, you know, not an opt in, but also similarly the ability for, for, for users to have a choice, um, and be able to control who's, who's tracking them and for what purposes. Um, and we're seeing more and more legislation come out across the globe. Um, you know, Brazil has um, has legislation in place as Thailand is now also coming out with a personal data protection, um, personal protection act. Um, so we're seeing it come again, and again. And I mean, I, I think what we're finding and what we're hoping is that the implementation of those won't look so different, at least from a technical standpoint, um, and also from from the requirements as a as a data company that it won't look too different from country to country. Um, so right now they seem to be similar enough that we can manage them all, all you know, within within similar uh, with with a similar setup um, with some smaller nuances. Um, 
but it's definitely something that's becoming a global a global issue and not and not a local one here in Europe. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, I think in a in, in the next podcast we should probably discuss uh, what what does it mean for you know the role of the big platforms and how has it changed and and you know because giving privacy to the users or privacy control to the users is one thing, but what does it mean basically for you know the 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 power balance in in the digital economy, that's that's a different. But let's cover that in in, in uh, probably a follow-on podcast because I think it's a big topic, and we are like almost at the forty-minute mark that you should not, you know, uh, go over in order to be uh, still digestible for users. So so thanks a lot for for shedding some light on some pretty complex and and uh, you know not too easy to uh, basically understand and grasp uh, kind of kind of topics and and shedding some light and uh, giving us some perspectives also on founding a company internationally by design basically. That's also uh, I think a great insight. And uh, yeah, thanks a lot and uh, hope to speak uh, soon on this channel and uh, and if the users have some questions to Christina, they can always email to podcast at projectaid.com and obviously also to me. We'll try to answer the, the stuff that you send us. And if you are interested in any more topics uh, like this or going more de- or going deeper on certain other things, obviously more than happy to, to uh, pick that up and do another podcast on those things. So thanks a lot and uh, great to have you, Christina. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Florian. We hope you enjoyed our podcast. If you did, how about you subscribe on Spotify and or iTunes and give us a rating.